chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you, do you seek? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that, and, and that he had said the things to her. And that's the word of God for the people of God. My family, because Jesus said, go to my brothers and sisters and let them know that I'm ascending to my father and their father my God and their God. And that's what he says to you and to me as well. These are the reasons we call each other family because having received the grace of Jesus Christ through the cross, through the sacrifice we can only barely comprehend, we have been redeemed from the sin and death that separated us from God and through Jesus, we are now able to be with God as our Father and His Father, as our God and His God. We're family, brothers and sisters through Christ. Have you ever stopped to think about how many things in the Bible seem to happen in and around gardens? 
I mean, the whole thing started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? And then when Jesus was praying so, so deeply and fighting the greatest struggle that the Lord Jesus Christ would ever know, he bled from his pores. So deep was his conviction, his struggle against sin and the consequences of sin. And, and it happened in a garden. And here we are again in a garden. This garden where there was a tomb carved into the rock. A new tomb as yet unused. It was the tradition in those days that people's dead bodies would be laid in a tomb like that and they would be allowed to decompose over a period of a year or two and then the tomb would be opened and the bones would be placed in smaller boxes called ossuaries and those would be then kept in sacred places and the tomb then could be recycled again. But the tomb that Jesus was laid in had never been used in that way. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary standing there in that garden? You know why she came? Because there were certain things that had to be done ritually for the body of Jesus, and they weren't able to do it because the Sabbath had come at the sunset on the night when Jesus died, and therefore they had to stop working. And then they would come back that day after the Sabbath had ended, to finish preparing the body with oils and uh, certain anointing processes. And again, so that it would lay in the tomb until such time as it could be removed. So Mary came expecting to find the decomposing body of her friend, her Lord and Savior, her Messiah, now, when the others came and saw, they left bewildered, right? They walked away confused by everything that had just happened, but Mary stayed there. It's reasonable that the men who followed him, uh, you can't help noticing in this scripture reading that John's a little full of himself sometimes, isn't he? And so the two of us ran to the tomb and I ran faster, right? <laughs> Being the one that Jesus loved, like he didn't love the others. I mean, come on, John, get over yourself. And just like when it was storming and Peter got out of the boat and John stayed in the boat, when the tomb was approached, John stayed outside and Peter ran in. Just saying. Think John had a chip on his shoulder? That's not what we came here to talk about, but it's kind of humorous. Kind of interesting, reminds us that these men who birthed the church in Jesus' name were pretty ordinary folks when it came right down to it. And if they can do it, I can do it. You can do it. But they did expect, after all, that Jesus would come and redeem the nation and in a sense, reclaim it from the nation's enemies. So they had every reason to think that their Messiah was going to be a military 
leader, a victor over their enemies. And that, and, and, you know, in most societies, there's always somebody that someone's mad at, you know. We can all be mad together at the outsider who's threatening us, like Rome, let's say, in their day. But then within the culture, there are certain sects and bodies of people in there that are mad at each other about stuff. And so everybody had a different idea of what they expected Jesus to do. But the one thing they all did not expect was that he would surrender to the authorities and allow them to murder him in an extraordinarily brutal way. None of them expected that. And when it became clear to them, they were many of them violently opposed to Jesus. What a terrible thing for this man to lead us along these three years and make us think that we were going to get from him exactly what we wanted from him. And then not to deliver. And worse than that, to even tell us that we were wrong about what we expected. And so naturally they responded violently because most of us, like those people in Israel, are looking to God as the one who's going to give us what we want. Right? Because our relationship with God is all about what we want. Not necessarily what we need, but what we want. So this question that was asked of Mary is still being asked of us to this day. Just who did you come to see? Who are you looking for? Now, I think in the context of the resurrection, this question was sort of lighthearted and it was meant to put Mary at ease, but it's a deeper question just the same, you know, because for Mary's sake, Jesus is saying, hey, Mary, who are you looking for? I know you're looking for a dead guy, but uh, hey, I'm right here, alive and well. We didn't do that hymn, up from the grave he arose, but I always want to fill in my own lines and say, alive from his head to his toes. If you look it up, that's not how it goes. But that's Jesus standing there with Mary saying, see, I'm here. But none of them really understood, and we can't fault them for that. We have the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight. They didn't know what we know. In fact, we wouldn't know what we know if it hadn't been for them teaching it to us. Let's keep that in mind. You know, Every old joke had an origin. Every old story started somewhere, and it was original once. And so let's not think too highly of ourselves. After all, that's another thing we do in church. We tend to think too highly of ourselves. We tend to think that somehow this is all about us. So who are you seeking is a logical question, especially on Easter Sunday. Did you come here to worship, or did you come to church? Let me just ask that one again in case you weren't listening. Did you come to worship or did you come to church? Isn't it amazing how we've turned church into a word that doesn't mean what it really means? So we talk about going to church as though that's an activity. It's a building. And with a small c, it really represents very little when it gets right down to it because a church could be anything. It could be any sort of gathering in fact, the words that we 
used to get our word for church all represent gatherings. They come from words like synagogue, which means gathering. And so there's, there's really nothing sacred about the building or its contents. It's really just a gathering place. And the church with a capital C is a gathering of the body of Christ, which you are because you are children of God because of Christ. And you see how that all works. Did you come to go to church or did you come for worship? If you came for worship, then you know that this whole hour, hour and a half that we're spending together isn't about you. If you came to worship, you came because it's all about him and you worship him because you just can't help it. And that's the idea. And so it defines what you're looking for. It defines who you are looking for. Now, At the center of this tradition we call going to church is a matter of self-interest. Can we be honest? It's something you do because you've got something you want to get from it, something that you want to receive. Well, there's nothing wrong with seeking the Lord and going to a logical place like a church to receive him and see him. Still, why do you seek him? Why do you seek him? I know it sounds a little harsh, but, you know, church has been at its best when it was entirely focused on Christ and the things that matter most to Christ, and church has been at its worst over the centuries when it became all about itself, when it became an institution or a sect. And so this Easter Sunday, let us remember who we're looking for. It's the risen Christ. And if we should happen to see him, Would we listen to what he has to say? Would we obey him if he told us what to do? Would we recognize his voice the way Mary did when he spoke her name? Have you thought about that lately? That's profound. If he spoke your name, would it startle you and get your attention the way it did for Mary? Or would you not even hear it? something to think about. What I guess I want you to understand is, is that I've decided that I would rather come to a celebration with my living Savior than to have a party in honor of someone who died and isn't here anymore. Because that's the difference, you know, between a wake or a funeral dinner or something like that and Easter Sunday. We're celebrating with Christ. He's here. His Holy Spirit has come upon us, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks in greater depth, but for now, understand this. He's alive today. He first appeared in the garden, but he appears every day in a multitude of ways. And if you ask me how I know... I can tell you quite honestly because I see him in front of me right now. I see him in front of me right now. And I hope that you see him in front of you 
right now because he has given us the ability to be born again into his very image, to become like him in the eyes of the heavenly father, to be sons and daughters of God through his redeeming grace and the Holy Spirit that essentially creates a transfusion of our human nature and replacing it with a divine nature so that we are no longer finite physical beings. We are eternal beings made in the image of God as it was in the beginning in that garden of Genesis. So if you're looking for the living Jesus Christ today, you may be able to see him sitting next to you, in front of you, or behind you. Now I've got to be honest with you because as the spiritual practitioner, the therapist who offers the spiritual therapy here at Shiloh Church, there is some honest evaluation that has to be done. And one of those honest things is to recognize in us the possibility that we haven't been born again yet, that we have not yet been changed, which means that we may not have eyes to see or ears to hear yet. The good news is, is the Lord hasn't given up on you. In fact, he's dedicated to getting you where you need to be. So you may look next to you and see an ordinary human being, or you may see someone who is made in the image of Christ. I have often said to people who will come to my office and immediately apologize for interrupting, uh, they're all divine appointments, what do you got? And the only reason I say that is, is because usually when anyone is talking to me, I hear Christ somewhere in the conversation. Eh, some conversations are less Christ-like than I wish, and some are almost too much to take. They are so filled with spiritual juice. And so... If you're looking for Christ, look into the eyes of another Christian believer. If you want people around you who don't know Christ to meet him, realize that when you were preparing yourself for the day this morning in the mirror, you were looking at the image of Christ that they will or will not see. It just depends on your level of participation. Christ will show up. The question is, will you be the vessel through whom he pours himself into the world? He's alive today and he doesn't have to make a physical appearance because he, he's already here. And that was his plan. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you and I praise you for more than I can name, for so much that it's incomprehensible to me. And I pray that when I look into each eye today, 
I see my Lord and that he would be seen in me. Amen. Thank you.